where lust for a whole life and nothing but less makes people jump out of a comfortable pond into an unknown ocean. Welcome to that journey between the East and the West. Who says Rolling Stones don't gather moss? Hello everyone, I am Meenu Gupta, your host for the day, and I'm delighted to have you join me every week as amazing people share their incredible and inspiring life stories of straddling continents. Thank you. Dear listeners, amongst the many international bestsellers that my guest for today has authored is one titled East Meets West, an award-winning designer who has straddled continents between China, Germany, England, Singapore, and USA. Yang Liu not only brings a wealth of perspective, but also a very unique way of communicating it in pictorial mode. Her works have won numerous awards and can be found in museums and collections all over the world. And when not penning bestsellers and managing a studio in Germany, Yang can be found regularly trotting all over the globe, teaching in different universities. Thank you for joining me today, Yang. Thank you for inviting me. So as a beginning, can you briefly take us through your life journey between the East and the West and how and why the first book happened? Well, I uh, the first book was really related to my life. I was born in China and I was migrated to Germany when I was 13. So and later lived in the UK, in the US, in Turkey, Singapore, and also lately Indonesia and Thailand. Therefore, East and West was always in my mind. In the beginning, it was um, a little bit in conflict when I just arrived. And later, um, it became a constant comparison. So I have this pattern since I was a child to compare. Through this comparison, it was a very big help for myself to understand the cultures. And therefore, it was a natural birth, the first book. is uh, basically my German half and my Chinese half in comparison. So I'm sometimes on the, on the red side, sometimes on the blue side. It's kind of a diary of myself. And when the book was designed, I was in New York, actually. And that was basically a looking back to my 13 years in Germany, 13 years in China. And therefore, the book is also in the format of 13 by 13 centimeter. Oh, that is interesting. I, I didn't notice that. Okay, 13 by 13. Very interesting, Yang. <laughs> and and you mentioned somewhere initially there was also conflict when before the comparisons or when the comparisons must have begun. Can you elaborate a little more on that? Uh, yes, I think the conflict was more in myself because I was not really adult. So I have not a complete uh, education in neither side. So I was kind of confused of uh, many behavior many systems in handling different situations from both sides. For instance, um, a very controversy one is how to dealing with um, negative um, opinions. For instance, in, in, in Asian countries, especially in China, it's impossible to express it directly towards other people. If you've if you seen some problems, you would try to talk around it so it sounds nice and still somehow arrive to the opposite side. But in Germany, especially, people do not appreciate this way of handling with conflict. In Germany, people appreciate if you are honest, means um, you have to talk about the problems very clearly, very directly. To do that is, I think, for any people who grew up in Asia, was quite 
quite um, a difficulty to overcome, to really face to someone and tell what you dislike. I think that uh, many of these kinds of situations I have met and I have to make my decisions, sometimes from this side, sometimes from the other side, sometimes it's a combination of both, or I use different, different ways to resolve it under different circumstances. It was quite, uh, quite fun, actually, also. It's quite interesting. Yeah, I guess the first the awareness of it must have come into your being and, and then you must have decided to take a stance. Until the awareness happened, you must have been confused because you said, I think you were quite young when you moved, right? Exactly, exactly. No, so I think I was always uh, in the capital. And when I came to Germany, I came to a very small town in West Germany. And that is also a very big change because I was coming from a very large city and then coming to a small town, this is also very uh, a big change for me to use to a totally different infrastructure. I understand. But when you say directly and indirectly, how would, let's say, if somebody doesn't like somebody in the East, in, in China, how would they put it across? The way how I see other family members are doing, they're probably just avoid to... Um, have too many chances of getting together. This is a way to avoid it. <laughs> or just to say something very subtle. And the opposite side will understand very clearly, which is sometimes for me very confusing. How do they understood? But obviously everyone understands certain codes. If you say certain things, then it's very clear for the opposite side. Oh, you do not uh, wish too many contact. While in Germany, especially people need to be very clear to be very, very clear, to speak everything out. And that was quite a thing that I need to use to. And now is the way around, because I live such a long time now in Germany. It's much longer than I live in China, probably even close to three times as much. Now I have difficulties not to express things directly. If I do not express things directly, I don't know how to express it. So <laughs> I have now opposite problem. And how is it in, okay, in the other part of the world, let's say when you were in New York, how was it there? It was uh, definitely less direct than in Germany. I also had some problems in the beginning when I worked in the office there. I remember we had a client in the US. You always have to say yes to certain timelines, even you can't make it. And that was very confusing to me. My colleague told me, you do not say you can't make it. This is very um, unkind. You always say, okay, I will try. And that everybody understands you might be not make it. And this will be in Germany considered as a lie. If you can't make it, you just can't make it. You just say it very directly. And that's what I did in my first job in New York. And uh, my client get very offended. He called the company and complained. And he even asked whether this person is from Germany because he had uh, similar bad experiences with people from Germany. And uh, it was very funny. So I, at the end, I learned uh, in the US, in working situation to a client, you always have to say, okay, I'll try, I'll give my best. This is the indirect way to say is not certain. Until the last day, you have to call the client constantly and saying, ah, oh, uh, we really tried, but then we might need to extend it for a little bit, etc., etc." All that was very confusing to me too. I think that was also a cultural difference. Of course, the U.S., um, the expression of situations are a little bit more um, direct than probably in Asian countries, especially in private context. It's definitely no comparison to Germany, how direct people are. In the U.S., people appreciate, um, I think in the U.K. also, uh, white lies. You would really try to be kind and not say everything. Uh, not express all the truths. Oh, that is so interesting. Uh, because 
in all my life that in my 30 years of professional life though I, I was brought up in the east I was doing it in a then a western way because I always told my clients exactly as it was because to build a system of trust okay I can do it and I will do it by this time I always bought extra time and tried to deliver before that and if there were problems I would just tell them straight because then I know that they are in the know so that seems now interesting so in your opinion you are putting countries like US and UK in the middle between the east and the west in terms of approach to directness and conflict am i right as depends on the situation i would say in a private contest uh, a context i think in the private life maybe the us and um, the uk are closer to germany in terms of contract i would say that works better with the us and the uk it depends on the on the cases it's, it's very very um it's a big differentiation from case to case from detailed situation to situation for instance small talk us and especially us is very close to china what people, what for content people have for small talks. That is rather contrary. And even there is a big difference between UK and the US. So um, there is a big difference between the U European side and the US side. And that point, I would say US is closer to Asia, but not in other, uh, other contexts. So it's very depending on, on the situation. When you say small talk, how would that work in your context? How is that similar? For instance, I think the structure of China and the US might be in that term comparable. That is a very large country, each of them, and has very different people with very different opinions and heritage and how they see things. Well, in Europe, countries are smaller. And um, you could have closer and common sense. I think in Europe, people love to talk about politics, also social conflicts, while a small talk. That's how people meet. I, I I've experienced that not only in Germany, in the UK, in, the, in Italy, uh, in many countries in Europe. This is a very, um, I think that, that I would say is a European um, universal way how to do small talk, even though small talk is not very appreciated generally, and especially in Germany. People like to have long talks and deeper conversations rather than small talk. While in China and in the US, people love to meet new people. Both, both, both countries, people are very open to meet new people and are happy to meet new people, make new connections. And therefore, the time frame you would talk to each one is shorter, and um, but you would then talk uh, about other things. For instance, things that do not hurt anyone, because you never know which kind of religion, which kind of cultural background, which kind of political opinion this person might have. Uh, you do not want to create conflicts so that um, people try to avoid these topics in a private situation. I, I used to talk on a party in California about politics and everyone walked away. And I asked my friend and um, he is herself a, a lawyer for this area. And she, she told me this is not some, something people are supposed to talk about in the U.S. on a party because uh, this is something that is a potential conflict source and you do not want that in the, on the party. While in Europe, this is the absolute common to talk, to discuss. Sometimes it looks like a fight, but actually only a discussion uh, about politics. And I would say um, in that context, there is also differences. Very interesting. I, I never viewed it like this. And uh, therefore, you have seen diversity 
in multiple ways in different countries. What is your view there? First, what is your definition of diversity, lived definition? Well, I have lived in many countries and I see pros and cons in all these countries. And I, for myself, I would take out the pros, what I appreciate, would follow many of these uh, these aspects from many countries in my personal life. I also celebrate um, many celebrations that is from different traditions because uh, I enjoy them very much. I think once you celebrate the traditional celebrations of some other cultures, you really dive into the culture and you understand how people work and why they're doing certain actions. I, I enjoy my life more ever since I have added more uh, things to celebrate. For instance, um, it usually follows my travels because if you travel to a place and stay a long time, you would experience these festivals. For instance, um, of course, we live a long time in Europe. We do very intensively celebrate all the uh, common um, celebrations here and um, the Chinese traditional one also. But uh, since we also uh, also celebrate uh, some celebrations from the U.S., and uh, since we lived in uh, in Indonesia also, we also uh, do some of their celebrations, not all. So the, the ones we have experiences that we liked and also many festivals from Thailand as we lived there also. And also from our friends who brought in some festivals, we learned and appreciated. We, we try to celebrate all of them. So we constantly are celebrating something. And uh, I think that makes my children also being very interested in other cultures. They're really, really um, looking forward for each country we're going to visit. And um, since you've not only visited but lived in different countries, where and what is home for you? Well, Berlin is definitely the place I lived the longest, for sure. And Beijing is my birthplace. I lived there very long also. I have a very deep connections uh, to Beijing emotionally as I was born there. And um, my cultural, uh, my family was from there and appreciate a lot of traditions from this city. Also, it's a very old city. Um, I definitely very, very connected to that. But also Berlin is definitely my home where, where I live also. So I live for the longest of my whole life out of all the cities. So this is definitely um, uh, the place I call home, but also Beijing. But it was my home of, uh, of a certain time period. And I don't know whether this will become my home again or some other cities, but these two places are the places uh, which I think I would say that's uh, the closest connections. And then New York is a place I also live quite uh, a while. I still have lots of friends there and I'm going there frequently. And Indonesia and Thailand, I live there um, each place six, seven months. Uh, it's not very long, but I have a deep cultural influence from there. I was very impressed how people see the world that really changed me in the last few years. The experiences in Indonesia and Thailand did leave a very deep footstep in my life so that even though I won't call them a home, but it's a place that strongly influenced me. Yes, I think each place has left a little bit inside of me. How did uh, Indonesia and Thailand leave an imprint on you? I think I learned a new perspective because all the countries I lived before <clears throat> was, um, for instance, I lived in Beijing, Berlin, New York and London. I spent also uh, a little bit of time in, in Istanbul. So all these cities are large cities, very um, cosmopolitan cities also, where have a similar pattern where people are usually very, very busy. And the goals, all these people, um, even there's very different countries trying to achieve are comparable. They have a certain value, what is 
what is uh, supposed to be done in your life. In Indonesia, I was uh, spent seven months in, on Bali. And uh, that was during the first pandemic. We planned to be there for two months where my children were go to school there. But we stranded there for another five months. So in total, we were there in seven months. And we experienced many of their holidays. For instance, the Silence Day, which we celebrate still after we left Indonesia. We celebrate every year the Silence Day, where it is the day you do not have any internet, no electricity, not any connections to anyone. You just um, reflect for one day long. Uh, I think that is something we're trying uh, to do. Of course, if you need to work that day or go to school, then uh, you only could do it partially. But um, I think it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful ritual. It's not very long. Also visually very appealing. They have um, this Ogu Ogu is a figure you need to build and burn uh, at the end of the day. So we're trying to do that every year. And um, this day really, um, especially I think in this stage of my life, I think um, that do change my view on how I want to live, what are the values. And Thailand is an addition to that. We spent six months in Thailand in different places. We also visited many temples and um, it was very fascinating to see how traditional Thai people are not very, very rare getting angry at all. I was really impressed. They're very slow in everything, but in this slowness, there is lots of uh, very aware, aware life uh, experiences. People are very aware with every moment they are living and what they're doing was uh, very, very impressive how they see their lives. Uh, so these two experiences in total, uh, yeah, maybe makes a year a little bit more with Indonesia and Thailand, but um, that on only changed myself. Also, my children was very uh, influenced on that. We really appreciate that. So there are two things you mentioned about awareness living or living in awareness, actually. That, what, uh, that is what I would call a very rich life. Being aware of every moment is actually having a very rich life. And you mentioned a place where you learned about the day of silence which place was that it was bali and and what was it called the the day you you mentioned the day of silence and and there uh in the day of silence uh, you turn off all the internet and even the electricity and then you don't talk to anybody or you talk to other people, uh, but uh, you, you do not use any electronic devices. You do not do celebrations. You do not go out. Nobody's working. So when we're in Bali, there is no electricity in the entire hotel. There's nothing. So no TV, nothing. It was a very special experience that, um, that you really have a day of relief. No responsibilities and no appointments. And you really have time for yourself. I think this is uh, actually something, especially modern society, actually need one day of a year. We should actually give us the time. What we also have, actually a similar experience was in Thailand, slightly different because uh, Indonesia, they have, um, they have the Hinduism com uh, combined with um, their shamanism. It's a little bit different than uh, the, the Hinduism in India. And in Thailand is uh, Buddhism. So that uh, it's slightly different, but um, I think uh, the content is comparable. In Thailand, we still just celebrated a few weeks ago, um, Loi Khaton. You build um, a flowery basket where you put on the rivers. And so we, we did that with the children. It's very difficult in Berlin because it's very cold. At that day, we did that. Everything was frozen. 
So we really have to uh, improvisate uh, how to do this festival. But it was beautiful. So my children remind their time in Thailand and um, they enjoyed it very much. There is many things which is really wonderful about that. You mentioned that there's Hinduism and shamanism in Indonesia and the Hinduism is a bit different than how it is in India. So how is it different? I can't tell the difference because I haven't been to India yet. And this is what um, some friends uh, when I when I we have met in some Indian friend we have met in Bali told us they told me they're they're not the same as in India even though it's uh, originated from Hinduism but the way they are celebrating the uh, their traditions is combined with the local culture also because Hinduism came to Bali in a certain stage but they have their uh, traditional cultures before it's sort of a combination of both actually very interesting never thought of it like that what is your definition of a global citizen and do you call yourself one well uh, i would say i think i am i am yes but global citizens are all very different um everyone is is different in their way of of their global citizenship i think uh, is if you really see your cultures linked to many cultures you don't have to travel constantly i, I do travel a lot also my family we do uh, travel really a lot but i don't think a global citizen have to travel a lot it's more a mindset it's more a mindset that is open minded to towards many cultures and put the culture you believe you are from or you are from as one of the options not as the absolute um foundation of everything so once you put the culture you know or the cultures you know well as one of the options of life then you can perceive the other ones in a totally different way and without um predictions and judgment i think that is very important to receive the world very very interesting way of putting it uh yang what do you think of the core value systems in the east and the west i think there's many things that are um very similar uh, the terms of good and bad and um in terms of helping each other and all that i think there is many uh, core values that is universal but there is many other uh, cultural uh, differences for instance uh, in asia i would say that would be true for the majority of the countries that uh, the collectivism is more in the uh, in the society than individualism i think people appreciate if you take care of the collectives while in the west i think people appreciate um if you as individual are functioning so um i think that's probably i would say one of the the differences that is uh, still the case actually yes i i have seen that so also in my experience of of living here i see the individual i bigger than the we i see the movement of i much bigger than the movement of we in the everyday aspect of living in western europe yes i think this is still um a difference it's of course in asia is also changing the young generation also put the eye more into the front but still there is a tradition of of the community and um and family that is uh, makes still a big difference actually i'm glad you pointed that out because i was going to ask you that because traditionally it is it was as you mentioned the collective and the we and uh, the i and the ego is increasing thanks to also quite a bit of the digital age and and uh, i call it the selfie mania also do you think therefore 
when we were talking about core value systems in the East and West, that the what we are just speaking of right now are becoming cliched and they are evolving. Uh, of course, there are always cliches. If you compare um, two things and put them in the opposite side, it's always cliches involved. So, uh, for instance, my books are all um, comparisons. So I have to evaluate each of the cliches, whether they are um, still up to date. If they're not, then the, this is a cliche. If they are, then um, it is a cliche, but also a fact. So there is a thin border. I have to be very careful that we do not run into too many cliches. Of course, every person in each country are individuals. And there is always very, for instance, in a country of um, the size of China, India, or the US, there is very big difference between each individuals. You can grab 10 people of each country and they could be completely different. While in smaller countries, probably there is more common sense. But there is still some uh, so-called uh, cliches that is still, still true, like we said, the collectivism and individualism. But that is also depending very much um, on the way of production. I think with the industrialization, uh, the need of a community reduces. I think that this, is, this could be also a reason that individualism is also raising in Asia. Actually, I, I found that very interesting what you just said, that uh, with the increase in industrialization, the need for a community also decreases. And we look more at products and less at people. Of course, in a society, for instance, um, if you would if you would be farming in a country with agriculture, you're definitely depending very much on knowledges of elderly, and therefore elderly also have a higher position in a society. Well, um, where you have different sources of of survival, for instance, um, through hunting, then elderly might be rather a problem for the survival. I think uh, those are all aspects um, where we cu our cultures are, are coming from. And um, but of course, also other aspects, how um, the political system where which kind of religion and philosophy each country has followed, been promoted, all that plays a role. At the end, what we call it as a culture, but actually it's just um, what people over the centuries has experienced. And that combined, uh, the, the influences combined uh, in our habits, and that what we call the cultural differences. But if you put the, the same people in that same experiences, I believe this person became the same if they have the, the, the exact same experience. No, I understand. I also heard uh, I, or I read somewhere that you were quite shocked when you realized the extent of gender disparity in Germany. Why was that? Um, what is your experience and idea of it in the East? And what had you thought it would be in the West? Yes, in the I thought um, because Germany's feminist move, movement uh, was actually very well known. Um, is actually um, leading, um, especially in the seventies, sixties. I just read an article yesterday about female rights worldwide, and um, there is one of the questions. Of course, there is um, rates of um, of um, lots of problems, um, especially uh, political related uh, equality for the society, etc. All that aspect, Germany are, are very good in the global standards. But there is one thing which is quite shocking. There is a question in the questionnaire where they asked. If a male hit use violence towards female, is that possible that that is understandable? 
So with all the countries people do the survey, Germany came out as the only country where 19, over 19% of the questioned females said, yes, under some circumstances is understandable. So the survey in other countries in Latin America, the highest was about 9% where people have understandings for that. <laughs> that was very shocking for me. And what I see in everyday life is um, that um, even though the law from the governmental side and the entire social structure is protecting women very well, and there is many work has been done in that aspect. But I think Germany is a very traditional country in that sense. Until the 70s, in Germany, women was not in the position to decide what to do with their hires. So if they inherited money from the family, they are not uh, in the position uh, to uh, use the, the money back then freely. And this is really a shocking, uh, shocking fact. And still the gender pay gap is still very big. And um, when I brought my children to the kindergarten, for for us, it was very natural because um, my husband is also from Beijing. Uh, from my childhood, it was always my father took care of me, cooked, do the grocery, and do the household. That is how I grew up. The same way is also my husband. I think in a big city in China, the big city people usually are like that, that the male are doing all these works. And when we were in the kindergarten, um, I was playing football with my son and my, my husband was carrying the baby and um, trying to comfort the baby and um, play with it. And lots of parents uh, talked to us, yeah, something is wrong uh, with this picture of your family, but I can't tell what. And we also have lots of friends who told me this is absolute uh, for them quite a new thing to see that um, my husband is doing all the housework. This is for us very normal. We were actually surprised that this is not this way in the German families. Even though the moms are working as well, but she's doing still the majority of all these duties. This is also changing to a positive one through many um, really good policies. Um, but still, this is a traditional role model, which has never changed. I have to say in the Eastern uh, Germany part, this is much better. I think one of the, um, I think it, because Eastern Germany had um, communism, where forced women to work, so they had to take, um, had to compete with male on the job market. I think the outcome was probably similar to China, that female was actually stronger in many, many aspects. That came out through this push. And um, therefore, um, female from Eastern Germany, I would say, are in that aspect, I would say, is much um, more modern than in Western Germany. That is so interesting. I did not know that and I did not realize that uh, this gender difference and the gender role difference is fairly interesting from whatever I have heard from other places. Somewhere you have also said, I read, that the barrier between men and women is more than their respective cultures. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, yes. Uh, some aspects, yes. I think I lived in many places and all these places I've heard exactly the same complaints from male friends about uh, their experiences with their dates, their um, family members, some uh, were divorced, married, etc. I've heard exactly the same story 
and same experiences and same misunderstandings. And that I find very funny. So that um, I uh, that's the reason I started the book Man Meets Woman. And um, that is comparable to the East Meets West book. There is also a lot of cliches. I have to see whether those cliches are true or not. I think it's difficult for a female to um, make fun of ourselves. And that I try to break through. I think only you are um, you are confident enough to um, also see your role or see your different situations in a um, in a more um, sarcastic way. I think you are more relaxed about um, the actual situation. I could actually make the changes. Therefore, that book was born. And um, I think it was um, was quite a long period how I created this book. I really um, have to remember all the experiences I had with different people, different friends over the world. I spent a little bit time in Namibia also. So um, even there, I have a local friend from Namibia I met. She constantly wrote me over a period of two years about her dating problems. And this is exactly the same as I heard from China or from New York. There is no difference. So even though these places are really far away, um, obviously there is some, some common sense. Okay, so so you are saying that the misunderstandings and the culture gap, let's say a culture gap between men and women, is fairly similar in different parts of the world, whether it's the East or the West. Yes, comparable, comparable. There's many aspects that are similar. Of course, there are other aspects that are not similar, but um, there is many, um, surprisingly, a lot of sim- similar aspects. What would be similar, for example? For instance, women always um, predict what male might thinking with certain things they have said, or they meant this and that. Well, if I interviewed uh, the counterpart, so my male friend, they usually always reply, they usually don't think anything about it. They just say it because of that. For instance, a male, if male is silent for a very long time, many females think uh, there is something in his mind which is related to the relationship. But um, most of my male um, male friend told me they're usually thinking about something else, a football game or uh, their job, or something completely different than their relationship. Therefore, they were um, silent or um, not talking a lot. And that is always mit- misinterpreted. And the verse-wise also. So um, female often expect male to understand through a certain very, uh, for male, not very clear actions. And they're just very confused. So all that, um, there is a different behavior between men and women, especially in the communications. I see there a very big similarity between different cultures. And since you wrote this book on men and women, I will ask a question which is perhaps as old as time itself. What do men and women really want in in different parts of the world? I think it's depending on the situation, whether um, which age um, they are, which life stage they are. I think um, what they want actually is not so different, but the way how to get there are different. And there, there is where the conflicts are coming. And um, like all my books, if we talk about differences, we ha- can start a conversation. And through this conversation, we can understand. I understand um, male and woman 
much better through my own book because I had to talk to so many people. I have to really read a lot also. So that made me actually understood both sides much better because um, every woman is also slightly different. In, uh, in the European, the modern context, we only have these two genders, male and female. But there is many things in between. For instance, in the indigenous culture of Northern America and Latin America, those cultures used to have much more genders than two. They at least have three or many cultures at five or even seven. Uh, I think this is actually um, quite um, interesting because we're talking about di diversity today. But actually, this is not a, a new concept. This is a very old concept. In the indigenous culture, they usually have people who are in between the genders, what we call queer today. Uh, those people usually become leaderships in their tribes because um, they have the overview of the male and the female in their tribe. This totally makes sense. And we're missing so many possibilities in our um, society today due to this narrow-minded uh, way of seeing the world. Uh, in this book, I only talk about male and female, but the gradients um, in the male side and in the female side, there is many people in many aspects are 70% male, maybe 30% female, and uh, some are 50-50, some are 90-10, some are 100 you know, everyone is very different. So, but um, there is some aspects that you can tell there is a difference, but um, there is not a very clear border. Who is male? Who is female? I don't think that is so clear. Actually, that is phenomenal what you have just said, because it makes so much logical sense, even biologically, um, because when we even say male and female and then percentage of hormones which might be higher in one person at labeled as one particular gender may be lower in the other one. So it's actually very, very variable. And yet the so-called cliched male and female differences remain. Now, actually, I find when you uh, mentioned about the comparisons in the book that you wrote uh, and a lot that you read, and a lot of people that you interviewed. Mars and Venus and the book John Gray once wrote, men are from Mars and women from Venus. Does that make sense? I think, uh, I think of course, a part of us are, uh, like I said, uh, if I ha see my male and female book in comparison, myself are, I would say, 30%. Many of my actions are in the male side and um, maybe 70% on the female side. So I would say we have male and female, um, this percentage all on ourselves, like East and West. It's not that we are 100% from this culture because your grandparents are also from here. This is not that clear because we perceive different informations, like how we've been brought up in the role of male and female um, also. And I think um, each male had some female aspects. And each female has some male aspects. The percentage makes it. So um, I don't think this is this is so important. We define ourselves on one side. Through all my books, no one need to, need to put themselves on one side. But we see this behavior is there. And you can use take a use of both sides and make your life very diverse. And this is how I see it. And I think it's a chance for us um, to see different perspectives. So that's truly a way of saying, hey, guys, there is no black and there's no white. And uh, 
find the colors in between instead of sticking and finding a label each time to label yourself and the rest of the world as a black and white. Find the colors in between and live and celebrate in the diversity in between. So uh, having said that, what would your parting words be between the East and the West? I would say uh, I think we would have a much happier life if we would be open to all these possibilities we have today. And um, as I am trying to show my children that we are celebrating all the festivals we know. And um, therefore, I think their life will be at the beginning more colorful than mine because I only knew one culture until I was 13. And I only learned those. So my life became more and more colorful through the years. And I uh, hope that uh, the younger um, generation will have this colorful world from the beginning. I think this is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining me today and spreading the joy of color, not the monotones. And uh, I wish you well on your journey. Have as many celebrations as there are countries and more in the world, not only countries and cultures. I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the series between the East and the West. Do subscribe to the channels mentioned on the site in case, of course, you liked what you heard. I am Meenu Gupta, the host of the series, and I'll be looking forward to your comments. We love feedback. Thank you once again. Namaste and bye-bye.